Hey there, welcome to night school. You know, I had a, some immediate regret after the last episode because I was talking about that band, and I'm not going to name them this time. I'm not going to name that band, but the college kid, the kid that I went to college with, had a class with, I was talking all this shit about him and his band, even though I didn't even know him or know his band. I just, you know, you got to talk shit sometimes, especially 15 years after the fact. But I decided, I was like, I'm going to look that band up. Because I talked all this shit, I'm going to look them up, and I did. And it's one of those things where, like, the guy still posts on the band's Facebook, even though they're not a band anymore. And I'm sure it's the kid that I had the class with, given how, how outspoken he always was. And the most recent thing was from 2018. And, you know, it's funny. They've come out with these... You know, you know that we've reached the end of culture because every niche has its own satire website. Like, it used to be The Onion which was never my thing. I was never an onion guy. I've realized I don't like satire. It's a little too obvious or something. There's something about just blatant satire. Like, I like facetiousness, but there's something about the satire genre I've never quite liked. It's a little too over the top. It's like it's telling you what it's doing. I've never liked facetiousness or sarcasm that's communicating what it's doing too blatantly. Like, I don't appreciate sar- like the, the sort of sarcasm that's like, yeah, sure. Like, that's never been funny or charming to me. Facetiousness is. Something that kind of sneaks in under the door and you don't really know what it's doing. That's really funny to me. But there's something about the satire genre or satire writing. And I know there's people who can't even pick up on satire and I don't, I, God help them. You know, I was talking to my friend Miles for the first time in a while the other night. The other day, yesterday, the other night, it wasn't night and it wasn't, it was yesterday. Um, but, you know, we were talking again, like we've had this conversation a million times, but just about the sort of person who's like, I, I can't read sarcasm on the internet. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I can't read sarcasm on the internet. I don't know if people say that anymore, but that used to be something you would hear all the time online. People would say it to you over instant messenger. People would say it on forums. It just seemed like somebody was always saying, I can't read sarcasm online. But you know what? The same sort of person who can't read sarcasm online is the same person who can't pick up on sarcasm in person. You know, it's the same sense. It doesn't matter if you read it or you hear it. The same person who can't read it online, who can't pick up on it online, that's the same person who, if you said it to them face to face, they'd go, what? You don't really think that, do you? It's the same person. But anyway, I, satire to me, it's, it's a little too blatant. And yeah, there's a whole thing where people believe Onion articles and people get all self-superior because they're like, dude, look at this idiot. Look at this old person. They, they think the Onion article's real. And it's like, you don't even know what you're getting tricked by. You're making fun of the person who got tricked by an Onion article. You know, you're, you're, you should feel very lucky that I'm not pointing at all the things that you're getting tricked by. But anyway, I'm not a fan of blatant satire. I was never really a fan of The Onion. It's just, it's a little too obvious to me. It's like, I know what you're trying to do, and that makes it not very funny. It's lacking a certain subtlety. And you kind of, you know, we've kind of reached the end of culture because every single niche has its own onion now, where there's this right wing onion 
And by that, I mean, it's like it's catering to right wing people. It's, it's catering to sort of anti-social justice stuff. And, you know, that's just where we're at. Everything has its own niche audience. Everybody's got to have their own version of everything. There's even one for people who were into like punk and hardcore music, and they make jokes about things that are related to that niche. Because all this stuff's over. All that stuff's over. You know, that's why we have these satire sites now. And, you know, it's funny, just one last thought on that is going back to years and years ago, my friend Robert, who's one of the most perceptive people on the planet, we were just talking about something and he said, he's like, I, he's like, I, I can, I just know things about people. And he's like, for example, like, I can tell you that you don't like the onion. And we'd never talked about that. We'd never had a conversation even remotely like that. And I was like, well, you're right. <laughs> It's not like I hated it, but still, he could just tell, like, he, he's such a good, re- he reads people so well that it was like, he was just like, he was talking about reading people, basically, and he was just like, yeah, I can, for example, like, I already know you don't like The Onion, and I just laughed, because it was just like, you got it, you got me, um, but anyway, the reason I'm talking about this is because on this guy's band page, and I'm not going to say the name of the band because I said it enough last episode. If you really care, go listen. But I, I just, after talking all this shit about this guy that I had a college class with 15 years ago, I had to see what's up with him. And yeah, it's like his old pop punk band, emo band. He's still posting on the page occasionally. And he posted a, he posted an article from that niche version of The Onion that's like, it's called The Hard Times. I didn't even want to say it. I didn't even want to say the name of it, but just so you know what I'm talking about. And it's like, they make jokes about the music scene. And that's because the music scene's over. I mean, all of that's gone, you know. It's anybody who's trying to, anybody who thinks that that's going to be preserved, that that world that many of us grew up in, anybody who thinks that's still around, I don't know what to tell you. I don't, I, I don't, I have nothing to say to you. You know, just keep doing what you're doing, I guess. But anyway... You know, he he shared that, and it was like this article where it was like, guy tells girl about band she's already in. It's like a mansplaining joke. So that kind of tells you where this thing is coming from, where it's like, guy tells girl, man tells woman about the band she's already in. And then the guy who was in this band that I, this guy from college, he was like, this is just so true. He's like, in addition to this, in addition to the hard times, like being right about everything, I just got to say, like having come from the, having, you know what he said? He, he, he said, like, having come from like a scene of angry young men, white men, this is just too true. I saw so much misogyny in the scene back in the day. So it's like some guy from some local pop punk, emo pop punk sort of hybrid band, sharing a satire article. Here I am just talking shit about him again. I guess it's inevitable. But being like, so true, dude. There was so much misogyny. And it's funny that he said that he was part of this scene of angry young white men. I'm like, pop punk emo, that that's angry young white men? I didn't realize you guys were angry young white men. Maybe I underestimated you. I didn't realize that was such angry music. I didn't realize you guys were so dark. But anyway, in looking up this band again, I saw that they were actually still playing shows way after I thought they did. I thought they would have broken up like right after I graduated college, like 2008. But they were still playing shows like a decade ago, I guess. 
And but what I saw is that my friend's brother-in-law was in the band. He's not the guy that I'm talking about, but my friend's brother-in-law was in this band, and I immediately I had instant regret. It's not like she'll ever hear it, but I went to their wedding and I met this guy. And he's just a nice kid. He's just he's just a quiet, nice kid. But I saw that he played in the band and I was like, oh shit, I met that kid. I met that kid. I went to that guy's brother's wedding. And I instantly felt regret. I like I instantly imagined some somehow this filtering out into the universe, this awful negativity, me just being a heartless bastard and being like, God, he's just like this nice, quiet kid who played in a band. And I talk about them like they should be stopped. They should just be stopped. No. But anyway, enough about that. I don't have anything more to say about that. Just that I had this moment of instant regret. That's just like a small town thing. It's like, of course, I look that band up and it turns out my friend's brother-in-law is in the band. And of course, they're sharing niche music scene satire articles about misogyny and talking about all the misogyny they witnessed. Oh, God, we saw... Dude, back when I was in the pop-punk scene, we used to see so much misogyny. Oh, my... Think about saying that. Because it's such blatant virtue signaling. You know, I don't even use the phrase virtue signaling anymore. I try not to use it. I would rather just describe what somebody's doing rather than label it virtue signaling. But uh, that's just blatant virtue signaling when you're like, dude, look at this satire article, but it's too true. Dude, it's so true. The pop punk scene was so the, the pop punk scene of angry young white men was so freaking misogynistic, dude. It's like, come on, man. I guess I guess because pop punk isn't getting you laid anymore, you now have to virtue signal about how misogynistic the pop punk scene was. I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was. <laughs> I guess while I'm on this topic, you know, I saw today that. You know, they're making some Lord of the Rings TV series. And of course, they announced that it's going to be multiracial with strong feminine leads. These things are all just traps. They want you to get sucked in one way or another. They either want you to go along with the program or they want you to react. These things are just traps asking you to react to them. Because I couldn't care less. The movies that came out way back when, those were good. I actually saw the movies before I read the books. I love the books. I prefer the books. I read the books after I saw the movies. I think the books are much better, as you'd expect. Not a Tom Bombadil fan. I think that was a good decision to leave him out of the movie. And that's like one of those things where I just, you know, you know that you're fundamentally different from somebody. Like my sister, I remember when the Lord of the Rings movies came out, she was like, oh yeah, they're really good, but my favorite character was left out. And I had never read the books. She's like, yeah, Tom Bombadil. I was just really disappointed they left him out. Then when I finally read the books, I was like, holy shit, this is awful. So it's like that's something where you just know there's something fundamentally different about you and your sibling. Because Tom Bombadil was just... I love Tolkien's writing. Um, Those books are perfect. The Tom Bombadil thing... My friend, actually, my friend Nick is rereading Lord of the Rings... And he sent me a message a couple days ago, and he's like, I just skipped the Tom Bombadil chapter this time. And I was like, you know, good good for you, because, I mean, I, I honestly don't know if I could deal with it. All these little singing, you know, just that stuff, it's, it's, it's so grating. And, like, I was joking with Nick, I was like, I bet that's some sort of PTSD from when Tolkien was in the war. I bet Tom Bombadil is some sort of PTSD hallucination. 
But anyway, they're coming out with a new series, which it's like, why? What else is there to even do? Those movies were so well done. Like, even if you didn't like them, they were well done. You know, but uh, so it's like, what else are you going to do? Like, oh, wow, you're going to do another series. We really need to have Lord of the Rings on uh, some sort of Hulu or Netflix, whatever it is they're going to do. Amazon, Amazon. We need, we need Lord of the Rings on Amazon. You know, it's like, who even needs that? So it's like, I'm not going to watch it. But yeah, of course, they're doing some diverse cast and they're going to put women in stronger roles. Of course, they're just going to change what it is. Of course, you can't just make Lord of the Rings, but it's a trap. It's asking you to react to it. It's asking you to get outraged. And there are so many reasons to get outraged about things like that. That Why even care? At this point, they're going to destroy everything and that's just fine. That's just showing you that it's all an illusion. Let them destroy everything is my philosophy. Because you know what? I don't get any satisfaction from the entertainment industry. I don't participate in the entertainment industry. And no, this is not me pulling the whole like, I don't even own a TV. I just don't, I don't contribute. I don't um, support anything they do. I do not support anything they do anymore. I don't pay for anything they do. I don't watch anything they do. And I'm sure you could say, oh, there's good stuff, dude. There's good stuff. I'm sure there is. I just don't, I have no business. I, I, my life is busy. I have plenty of stuff going on. I just have no business with it. And it reminds me of this video game Earthbound. Like all this stuff they keep coming out with. You know, like Superman's gay now or something. Like, and not just gay, but, he, you know, he's, he's making out with a guy with like dyed pink hair. A guy who just looks like like everybody looks now. You know, so it's not just like Superman's having a gay relationship with like another masculine, tough superhero, which might be kind of interesting. I don't know. I don't care about gay storylines, but it's like that might be a little more interesting if Superman is having a gay relationship with Aquaman. But of course, he's like making out with a guy with dyed pink hair and glasses, you know, an androgynous dude with pink hair and glasses. You know, of course, that's the storyline. But anyway, it's like I couldn't care less, honestly. I couldn't care less about it because just let them do what they want with everything. I have no part of it. I'm, I'm a non-participant. But with Lord of the Rings, it's like, yeah, I'm a Lord of the Rings fan. But, you know, unless they go for the books, I couldn't possibly care. And I already own the books. I already own the books. So do what you want. Destroy everything. Ruin everything. Because it makes things worse for those people. Because they have to continue to go through the motions of pretending they like those things. And they are pretending. Um, But, uh, you know, with all that stuff, it reminds me of this video game Earthbound, which I didn't play until later. You know, even though I played all the Japanese role-playing games, the original Super Nintendo role-playing games... I never checked out Earthbound just because, you know, didn't have the money, didn't have the time to play every single video game. And it also seemed really goofy. It's like one of those zany Japanese games. Like, even though I played all the Japanese role-playing games, I was never into the zany Japanese stuff. Because it's like a kid in a ball cap. It's not like fantasy. It's not, you know, it's not medieval. It's not sword and sorcery. It was like a kid in a ball cap. And it's slightly suburban, but weird. It's just, it's zany Japanese humor. It's goofy. I played it as an adult. I played it for the emulator as an adult, and it deserves its status. I think Earthbound is a really cool game. It's not a personal favorite, 
but I think it's a really cool game. But I played it not that long ago, actually, like five years ago, four years ago, when I was I just needed to play a video game. And there's a part in it where you become this kid who's in a temple. It's obviously an Eastern temple, and you start out in this temple, and you have to go through these trials. So your character has to go through these various scenes. And one of the scenes is you're in this completely black room, or it's not even a room, it's just a black void, and your character is in the middle. And there's this face, this giant face. It's like some sort of wrathful deity, like a Hindu wrathful deity. And it's coming toward you. And as a video game player, you think you have to move. You think you have to do something, hit a button. But the whole point is that you have to just let it come and consume you. And so it goes against your intuition as a person, as a video game player, that you just have to sit there and take it. You have to let this wrathful deity just get closer and closer. And if you move your character or you hit a button, you have to restart. So it's an interesting little thing. It's very cool, actually, they, they make you do that. It's like you just have to endure it. And that's how you get to the next stage. It's not like you die when the wrathful deity consumes your character. You just have to let it happen. And it's actually extremely difficult. It's extremely difficult to just slowly watch this wrathful deity consume your character, creep slowly toward your character. And that's kind of how I feel about all this stuff. Like when something else is in the news or they're like, oh, they're, they're turning this into this. Oh, no, they, they, they turn. Oh, no, they're making Lord of the Rings woke. Who cares? You just let it consume you. And I mean, you, you, by, by letting it just wash over you, you're not letting it consume you. That's sort of your. That's that's you. It's communion with the Dharma. That's letting the illusion pass over you because. So many things in life are just telling you, react. You better react to this. Oh, you hear that oh, Lord of the Rings, it's going to have somebody of every single race. And if you react to it, somebody's going to call you racist. And if you like it, you're lying to yourself and you're being fake. So just don't do anything. Just be a non-participant. I've already gotten everything I need to get out of Lord of the Rings. I, I really couldn't care less. But you, you see headlines like that and you're just like, you roll your eyes. But I realize there's a certain sort of person who goes along with, not just goes along with that in the sense that they check it out, but there's a certain sort of person who likes things for that reason. And it goes back to this guy that I used to drink with. And he, you know, I, I have nothing but nice things to say about him. And now, since then he's come out as where he's a woman some of the time and he's a man some of the time. I think they call that gender fluid. I'm not passing judgment. I'm just saying, I'm just speak. I'm just describing what's transpired in recent years. I know two different guys who do this in town. Two guys that I used to drink with in town are women some of the time and a man the other part of the time. I don't know when the shift happens. I, don't, I really have no clue. I haven't seen either of these people. But the one guy I'm talking about, you know, I have nothing but incredibly smart, very witty. I used to really enjoy drinking with him, one of my favorite people in the world to drink with because he just had very interesting thoughts. And we didn't always agree, but he had very interesting thoughts. But it's just it shows you like, again, talking about like fundamental differences between people like my sister loving Tom Bombadil and me finding it unbearable. Like that just shows you a fundamental difference in approach to what you get out of something. But with this guy, you know, he was recommending me a comic book 
called Saga. And he, so he recommended me this comic book and he said, he was telling me about it. And then he was like, oh, and it's very progressive. And the, the, at the time, this is probably like 2015, 2016, it stuck, it, it stood out to me because I was like, I never would have thought of that as a selling point. Like I never would have, you know, I never would have told somebody, oh, check out this comic book. It's, it's very conservative. It's very traditional. You know, I just never would have, I never would have been drawn to something for that reason one way or another. And that he used that as one of the selling points, like in recommending this. Oh, and it's very progressive. And he, he was not, not an idiot by any means. And that's why that's so interesting to me because I had a high, I have a high opinion of him and his, his intellect and everything. So it was just like, huh, that's an interesting selling point. And I ended up buying a collection of that comic for my girlfriend and then we broke up before I could give it to her. And I, I decided I didn't want to play the whole like, oh, I'm giving you a gift after we break up. I, I played that game before. It didn't feel like the right thing to do. So I just read it myself. And I enjoyed it. You know, because it's about these people from two different alien species who have a baby together. Which seems, you know, like par for the course. And like they're at war. Their species are at war. And one of them has wings and the other one has horns. So the little girl, surprise, surprise, she has both wings and horns. And so they have to keep the wings hidden because you can't hide the horns. But I enjoyed it. I thought it was a great story. But it reached a point where the little girl like goes into this women's shower room at a facility. And there's this big like page-sized panel of a trans woman with a penis Okay, it's a character in a story, but there's this big monologue, like because the, the, the girl is shocked, the little girl is completely shocked by this, and there's this big monologue where the trans woman with a penis explains how women can have penises too, and it, it, it kind of goes back to what I was saying about satire, like it made its intentions so obvious, it was like a PSA. It was like an advertisement in the middle of this story that I was actually quite engrossed in. And now I knew, you know, at that moment, I was like, oh, this is what he was talking about when he said, oh, and it's very progressive, you know, but to me, it was just, it, it wasn't even about the message. It was just about the fact that the message was so blatant and it came across like a PSA. And I was just like, that was a poor way of telling the story. And I brought this up before where it's like anything that takes me out of the story. I, I mentioned how Johnny Depp took me out of that movie where I saw that Fantastic Beasts movie. I was talking about this recently where a few years ago I saw that Fantastic Beasts movie. And I don't know, I barely know anything about the Harry Potter world. So to me, I'm just going in for a, a wild ride, a brain ride. To me, seeing a movie like that, I have no idea what that world's all about. I'm going in here for a brain ride. A brain ride. And at the very end, this character who's been the nemesis the entire time gets unmasked. And it's Johnny Depp looking like Johnny Depp. He has bleached hair. He's he's just, he, it looks the way Johnny Depp always looks now. And it just completely took me out of the movie. I was immersed in the entire movie. And, you know, I'm not a film critic. I would have given the movie an 8. I would have given the movie an 8 up to that point. It crashed to like a five for me. Just the fact that they unmasked Johnny Depp 
This character who was played by somebody else the entire movie, oh, it turns out it was Johnny Depp, the evil magician, changing his looks. And so the end of the movie, and like my girlfriend at the time, who was really into Harry Potter and all that stuff, like I heard her gasp in disappointment. So it wasn't just me. It was both of us. And like that's kind of what it was with this saga comic where it's like it goes to this page where it's like a full panel of a woman with a penis and then this big monologue about like explaining to the little girl why that's okay or normal or I don't I don't know what the message was. Well, I, I know what the message was. I don't know what the the dialogue actually was, but it was a monologue and I was just like this just it's too obvious. This takes me out of it. You know, I feel that way about everything. I, I truly feel that way about everything. Anytime something's a little too obvious. I feel that way about certain guitar riffs. Like if a song is really good, but then a guitar riff does something that's a little too obvious, where I know what they're trying to do. Where I know, like, they play a certain melody where I'm like, oh, I know exactly what you're trying to do, and you just remove me. I feel that way about a lot of things. But it's especially true with these message-oriented this message-oriented media world that we're in, where it's like, it's propagandist. It's propagandist. And it does feel that way. And and I wonder, though, like, at what point do normal people say, I'm sick of this, too? And a lot of people are saying that. But fortunately, I'm completely divested. You know, I've divested myself, not even on purpose. I just, over the years, I've just divested myself from this to where it is like that earthbound game where it seems like the game is just to stand still and let this stuff float on by. Like, I don't have an emotional reaction to whatever they're doing with Lord of the Rings. Although I will say with that, it's like, it's not even about hiring. It's not even about, uh, I mean, you're literally changing the story. You know, you're actually changing the story that, that was written. This man wrote a series with very specific races in mind, influenced by European people. He described them a certain way. So to revise that, that sort of revisionism, I just it's like you're hurting your cause more than anything. But yet there are still people who will be like, oh, it's so progressive. Oh, it's so progressive. Oh, you know, there's people who will react that way because they've been sucked into that world. They've been sucked into the world where that's the currency. And that's how you have to see it. Oh, this is currency. And, you know, I haven't seen the Sopranos movie yet. I haven't seen the Many Saints of Newark I saw a trailer for it a few months ago and got kind of excited. I was like, you know, I love The Sopranos, even though the, the last season sucked. You know, with The Sopranos, like any show, it gradually goes downhill and then the final season just sucks. It's happened to me every time I've rewatched it. It's the only series that I'll rewatch that I've rewatched multiple times in my life. Every single time I think, okay, this time I'm going to feel okay about season six. This time I'm going to give season six a chance. Every single time I'm like, this sucks. Yeah, it's still The Sopranos. There's still good scenes, good stories, but overall it sucks. Partly for the same reasons I'm talking about here. They have this big, long, drawn-out gay love affair where this mobster up until this point, he's been this very creepy, closeted gayman who's hanging out at gay bars and he people have 
caught him a couple times. They catch him doing something with a, a guy at a construction site, things like that. But then they have him go on this. Tr- once once he gets caught, once it comes out that he's gay, he flees and he hides out in New Hampshire or somewhere like that. And it turns out he happened to hide in this gay community. And he has an affair with this guy, but it's this long, drawn-out storyline, this romance. And it, it's just—it's we know what you're trying to do. This doesn't feel natural. This doesn't feel organic. You know, it's not—it has nothing to do with the fact that it's a gay man. We can just see the outline of what you're trying to do, and it just hurts immersion. You know, it makes it difficult to immerse yourself when you can see what they're trying to do. For the same reason, I don't like satire. I know what you're trying to do, and that makes it less funny. Subtlety. I like facetiousness, but I like it to be subtle. But uh, anyway, so that's, you know, it's been going on for a long time, but all you can do is just let it wash over you. You know, I don't, I, I just, why even get caught up in it? Because the thing is, you see people, you see these pundits, you see like right-wing pundits where every time they do this, and they're doing it with everything, they, they're doing it with every single little thing, but you see where right-wing pundits see this and they go, oh my, you see what they're doing to Lord of the Rings? You see what they're doing to this? Oh, now they're coming for this. Oh, the Wonder Years, oh, now they're making the Wonder Years. Where Kevin is black and gay. I don't know if he's gay, but it's that sort of thing where they remade The Wonder Years and it's a black family. Or they're just rebooting everything. Because they already tried rebooting everything just as it was and it didn't work. People are like, this stuff sucks. And now they're rebooting everything but making all of the um, diversity quotas that much more obvious. So they're appealing to that now. And the thing is, nobody seems to actually like it. You don't come across people who like any of this stuff. And so I haven't seen the new Sopranos yet. But everybody I know who's seen it doesn't like it. The best I've heard is that it's okay. okay but okay with a lot of contextualization on why it's just okay. Like I, there's a guy that I talked to who was like, oh, it's okay. You just have to imagine that it's Christopher Moltisanti remember imagining what his dad and Tony's life was like and I was like is it presented that way and it's like apparently not but basically you have to create you have to use your imagination to imagine why the story sucks you have to use your imagination to to understand like to to imagine oh uh, this is why the story is supposed to suck because it's this one character's false memory of it. So you have to actually get very imaginative just to tolerate this thing, apparently. And the descriptions I've heard, some of the same stuff, like there's kind of a forced interracial relationship. There's just this this whole dynamic, like race plays a major role. You know, just all of the things you would expect from a movie these days. You know, you can't even do a Sopranos prequel. And, you know, all those things played out on The Sopranos itself, but I feel like The Sopranos managed to navigate them very well. But every single person that I know, which is quite a few people, like I go to these these mafia discussion groups and stuff, and every single person, yeah, okay was the best I heard. Most people said it was pretty terrible. So I, I really have no intention of seeing it. And I'm not heartbroken about that. Yeah, I love The Sopranos. Yeah, I'm obsessed with the mob. 
I don't need to see it. If, it. if I happen to see it and I like it, well, that's great. My life doesn't need it. Just because somebody created this thing doesn't mean that I have to have any involvement. I'm just going to let it wash over me. I have no support for the entertainment industry. It's over. All these things are over, and we just have to accept that. Music scenes, the way, the way we understood music scenes, those of us who came of age at a certain point in time, those are over. The entertainment industry, it's over. The media's over. A lot of the things that we clung to, a lot of these things that we thought of as institutions, they're over, and we just have to accept that, and it's not a sad thing. Everything has to die a certain death, and we just have to accept that these things went away. It doesn't mean that good things won't come, but we have to accept that those things are over if we're going to let new things come. But I think that's where things get bad. That's where things get particularly bad, because I don't care what they do to all of these franchises. Star Wars is ruined. They're going to ruin Lord of the Rings. They're going to ruin The Sopranos. They're going to ruin everything. Why not? Just let them. Let them ruin everything. It's like a kid where you just go, at some point, like, we're just going to, it's like a kid who is, like, making holes in the wall of his bedroom, and you're like, oh, you know, stop doing that. I'm going to ground you. But the kid keeps doing it, and at some point, you're just like, we're just going to let him wreck his room. We're just going to let him write all over his room. We're going to let him put holes in the walls, and when we move, I guess we'll patch it up or something and paint over it. That's kind of how I feel about all this stuff. Just, these things need to die let them kill them. Let them kill all of these things. It's part of the acceptance of death is accepting that all of these things that we kind of thought of as institutions, these franchises that we grew up with, we just have to let people destroy them because that's what they're intent on doing. And I feel honestly zero emotion about it. Yeah, there's the intellectual part of my brain. It's like, oh, can you believe they're doing this? But the reality is like deep down, I couldn't care less. This doesn't matter. And I think that we have to accept that if good things are going to come. But then the problem is, and this is where things truly are an issue, is that people are, are so restrictive now about what you can and can't do. And I won't launch into this for another hour, but still, that's the issue on top of everything else, is that it's like we're going to destroy everything, but we're not going to let you create new things. And it's very interesting to observe the way that they've institutionalized this, you know, where everything has been tainted, and they they show their hand. You know, it's like people are commenting on this, and I don't have much to say about it, but it's like there was like another Dave Chappelle special that just came out, and just like last time, a couple years ago, the reviewers, the, the, the approved reviewers on Rotten Tomatoes gave it a horrible review because it's offensive. And... The audience gave it a, a glowing review. And they did that last time, and people were like, oh yeah, this is corrupt. The staff of Rotten Tomatoes has been totally corrupted. It's politically corrupted. They vote based on politically approved content. And there was something, too, where the staff at Netflix, several activists at Netflix stormed the office and got suspended. And I saw the arguments they were making, and they were like, because Dave Chappelle jokes about trans people, he's literally putting their lives at risk. And that seems to be the argument that's always in use. Literally putting your lives at risk. And that, that's a justification for everything. And that's what happens when you start calling 
nonviolent behavior violent. I could have told you this was going to happen, you know, a million years ago. <laughs> a million. I could have told you this was going to happen a million years ago. The second people started saying silence is violence, but also saying the wrong thing, the slightly wrong thing, which it turns out isn't even necessarily wrong, but we just don't like it. And we can spin it by saying that it contributes to violence. How are you going to measure that? Trust the science. Well, how do you measure the impact that words have on violent behavior? I could understand if the argument was, he's, Dave Chappelle is literally asking, he's telling his audience, when you leave here, you better go kill this type of person. You better go hurt them. Why don't you go hurt them? You know, if Dave Chappelle was inciting actual violence, that'd be one thing. But this widening of the goalposts of violence, which can't be measured, there's no way to measure that. Trust the science. Well, how does the science measure that? How does the science measure the impact that jokes have on violence? Somebody decided that that's, there's a correlation between humor and violence. If anything, humor is a release. I'm a nonviolent person. I have no history of violence. Zero. Zero. And you know what? That's probably because I vent through humor. If I couldn't joke around, I'd be a much more angry person. I'd start a pop punk band. So it's that sort of thing where it's like humor is a release valve, especially when it's offensive. And I'm not telling anybody who listens to this show anything they don't know. But it is interesting to observe this, where you have these review websites who, who gives a shit about them, right? But they have become sort of institutions. In the same way that Snopes went from an urban legend website to now like fact-checking politics, the politicization of everything. Let them destroy it all. Let them destroy these things. These things suck anyway. Snopes sucked anyway. Rotten Tomatoes, I never even looked at it once until I heard about this stuff. I literally never went there to see what people thought about a movie. It sucked anyway. You know, if it can be destroyed, it deserves to be destroyed. If it can be destroyed by these people, it deserves to be destroyed. And they will eventually destroy everything they like. They will have nothing. Whereas if you find alternatives, you're going to have everything. The reason why I feel okay about them doing what they want with Lord of the Rings, the reason I feel fine with it is because I already have everything I need in terms of interests. And they can, take, they can try to take that away too. You know, it's, it's not like I'm overconfident about that because they are trying to restrict what you can consume in your own time. They're trying to restrict everything you do. We are living under a, a form of social communism for sure, like a socially enforced communism of the mind. And that's just a fact now. I mean, you can see where, you know, John Gruden, it came out that he, this is just me commenting on current events because I haven't, see, I, I didn't look at any current events for two straight weeks. I was doing so much writing on my mafia Substack. I didn't look at any current events. So this is just me getting it all out. But I saw where like it came out that John Gruden said some offensive things 10 years ago. And now it's like they edited it because video games now get updated. Like video games are connected to the internet. And so they get updates. And so because of that, the new version of Madden didn't update where they got rid of John Gruden. 
It's hilarious. I mean, you have to laugh. It's horrible that they, they're doing all this. And, you know, of course, people are pointing out like, well, the, the team has two guys who are accused of domestic violence and one of them was accused of rape. And you're mad about this guy's emails from 10 years ago. But you can't use that argument. It's beyond reason. It's beyond logic. And that's why you can't engage in logic-based discussions, logic-based arguments. You have to let them destroy themselves. And they will. They are doing it right now. You can see these people. You can just look at them and see the destruction that is taking place inside of them. The absolute spiritual destruction that is going on. And you can't let yourself participate. Yeah, you, in your brain, you can think things. You can have thoughts, of course. I have tons of thoughts. Obviously, this show is just me getting my thoughts out. But you don't have to feel those things. You know, you don't have to actually feel those things that you're thinking. You can just sit there and, and let it just let it wash over you. Let all this stupid stuff wash over you. It wasn't meant to be anyway. And that'll give you energy when you do want to fight, when you do want to hold your ground. Because, yeah, there are absolutely things where if you were to come for them, well, then there's going to be a problem. There are things that I care about. There's going to be a problem. You know, it's funny doing all this writing about the mafia, which I, it turns out has a podcast. Like I, I started this Substack, mafia.substack.com to put some of my research up. And it's, it's very long. It's very convoluted and detailed. I don't even think people into the mafia like it. I don't even think very many people in the mafia have the patience or the interest in the way that I'm approaching this. I mean, although my friend Rick, he's an older guy who's a mafia historian. He told me it, it, it read like he, he was very into it and he said it read like a dissertation. So I'm like, that's awesome. That's who I'm appealing to. Even if the only person who cares is my friend Rick and a couple other people, that's cool. But I discovered that Substack allows you to upload podcasts. So who... I did one last night. I just kind of it was kind of an introduction, but that's a good feature. I, th I think that might be something I do is write these occasional, detailed kind of twisting, overwrought articles about mafia history and analyzing mafia history, and then do kind of off the cuff mafia podcasts. Although, do I really want to do another podcast? You know, it's nice to have parameters because in that case, I wouldn't. Obviously, it would be nothing like this. Hopefully. But I did upload a, a podcast up there where I'm just kind of talking about my approach, how I view what Cosa Nostra is, just something to do. It's so easy to do. It's actually way easier to put podcasts up on Substack. You know, it makes me question whether I want to continue to use this route, but no, I'll, I'll keep doing this. But doing all this writing about, you know, the mafia, it's like, you know, if somebody if somebody was like, you can't write about that anymore, well, then there'd be a problem. Because I was even talking about this when I was doing some writing a few months ago, where it was this horrible thought I had when I was doing some writing, where I mentioned something like, I was like, like these men came from this town and came to the, to the United States. And I was like, oh, somebody might even just have a problem with me saying these men. Even though I'm referring to these very specific men coming from a specific village here, these men, somebody would actually look at that word and they might think, hmm, 
Maybe you shouldn't use that word. Shouldn't you say these people? Now, I can tell you if there's one group who knows that they are men, it is mafiosi. But, uh, you know, it's just, uh, you know, I hate to even get into this culture war stuff. I try to avoid it for the same reasons I'm talking about. I try to avoid talking about it for the same reasons I'm talking about, where it's just let it destroy itself. Don't let it destroy you. Don't let it destroy the things that are truly meaningful to you. But was was a new, you know, Hulu series about Lord of the Rings or whatever network it's going to be on, was a new Hulu series about Lord of the Rings going to make or break you? Just let them just destroy it all. Don't encourage it, but let them. Because they're destroying the things that they want to value. Like those are the same people who think that the entertainment industry still matters. They're the people who think that comic books still matter. They're the people who think Star Wars still still matters. So what, just let them destroy those things because they're destroying the, the very thing that they have such an interest in. The reason why they're using those things as a platform for these ideas the reason why they're using these things as a propaganda platform is because they still think those things are important and they're not. And that's the biggest coup of all. You know, if you really want to pull a coup against these domineering social forces, these cultural forces, just keep in mind that that stuff isn't important at all. And don't waste your energy on it because that's what it's trying to do. It's trying to trick you into going, oh my God, look at what they're doing, the Lord of the Rings. So that somebody can say, oh, because you, oh, you're racist, huh? Because you're racist? I mean, I had a dream a couple of nights ago that this girl I used to work with and her boyfriend, who I knew, and I was friendly with them, but I had a dream that it came out that they were FBI agents, undercover FBI agents investigating me for being racist. <laughs> and you know what's funny is they would never do that like not e- not even just you know getting beyond the undercover FBI thing they're not even the type of people who would care ever like I know her and like she she has a, a business that involves uh, like working with like she does business with like straight up Trumpsfeld supporters you know she she she's a, a non-judgmental person like no matter what her values are like she's a very non-judgmental person I mean maybe she is an FBI agent maybe that dream was telling me something but it was just it's weird especially because I'm not terribly concerned with that accusation I'm not somebody who goes around in terror Oh my God, you're going to call me racist. Oh, you know, yeah, that's something that people deal with. But what's so interesting about that idea is that the people who go around with the most fear on their backs about being called racist are the people who are supposedly fighting it, which is why they're fighting it so adamantly. These people don't actually care about racism in most cases, whatever racism means today. They don't care about racism. They're worried about being called racist, which is why they're fighting racism so overtly, which is why they're virtue signaling. It's like the guy from that band, Go Get the Scissors. I said it. His band is Go Get the Scissors. It's like the guy from that band posting, you know, a satire article about misogyny in music and virtue signaling about how the pop punk scene was so misogynistic. He's trying to get a, you know, he's trying to communicate to people that he's not misogynistic. He observed it. 
You know, it's that sort of thing. Where so often it's like the thing these people are accusing you of is the very thing they're terrified of being accused of. Not that they're actually that thing, but they're so terrified of it, they think by defining other people that way, they'll get other people off their back. And these are the same people, as I've said before, these are the same people who like talk in Ebonics through text messages. These are the same people who like listen to rap all the time. These are the same people who like think it's funny to like talk to their friends in Ebonics online and like post black people gifs. These are the same people who do that. Like these are the people with guilty consciences. These are the people who have decided to, you know, basically parody black people in their social lives while pretending to be into rap or whatever it is they do. No wonder they're going after everybody else. You know, they have guilty consciences, not that they even should, not that what they've done is even wrong, but this is where it all comes from. And they, they want to believe that everybody's guilty in the same way they are. And this is a mass psychosis. You're participating in a mass psychosis. It hasn't let up. I took two weeks off from paying. I didn't, I didn't see anything in the news for two straight weeks. Yesterday was the first day that I looked at anything. And guess what? It's everything's moving along as planned. Everything's moving along just as it was. Everything's moving in the direction that the psychosis is carrying it. Just at this point, just let it. You got to survive. You got to do what you have. You can do to survive and stay interested in the things you're interested in. But just let the psychosis consume itself because I don't think there's any way to stop it. I've thought about this and I'm like, how can you stop this? Logic doesn't work. And there's people out there, there's like these guys, I noticed them especially, they're like liberal guys who picked up on what was going on and now they spend all of their time fighting the far left. They're guys who were liberal academics and now because they have a better understanding of this, what sort of happened in universities, a lot of these guys are ex-professors and things like that themselves. And it's not that they're wrong about anything. It's just that they're spending all of their time trying to prove how the logic is wrong. And, and they want to engage in these. They basically want to use the, um, the Socratic method to prove people wrong. And it's like, that's not going to work. I'm at the point where I'm just like, you just have to let these people cannibalize because they will. They will ruin everything and they will be living lives where they truly are just pretending to like everything. And maybe they've always been doing that. Maybe that's why it's so easy for them. Maybe that's why it's so easy for people to be like, oh, check this out. Oh, it's so progressive. Oh, what I really like about this new show, you know what I really like about the new Lord of the Rings is it's so progressive. You know, the same sort of person who's saying that, maybe they've just been posing all along. Maybe they've truly never liked anything. Maybe they've never truly liked themselves. That's why it's so easy just to keep pretending. Because you know what? If there's one thing I know about myself, I know when I don't like something. And I often don't like something when it communicates its message a little too clearly, when it gives me an advertisement or a PSA. I understand right now I might be doing that. I might be giving a message. But this isn't supposed to be anything other than that. This isn't supposed to be me doing or saying anything other than just expressing myself. And I want people to be able to do that. But the idea of taking a, a, an existing medium and trying to sneak something in, 
but pretend that you're not doing that. Everybody knows what you're doing. Everybody knows what you're doing, including you, but not you, not you. By you, I mean them. No, but it was kind of, it's funny because when you're in a hole and I don't mean a bad hole, I just mean like I was in my own void for two straight weeks. I was writing all the time. All my free time was spent writing. And so I was able to tune everything out and reality starts to feel a lot different that way. Reality starts to shift. Some people will say like, oh, get offline. If you just get offline, it's everything becomes real again. No, we can't do that. Society is being governed by these same forces that I'm talking about. And so, yeah, you can live your own life and tune out. It's still going on, though. And you don't want that to get to you. The whole idea is you don't want any of this to get to you. You're not going to do your best work. You're not going to feel okay with yourself if you let things get to you. You can have opinions. You can respond you can express yourself, but you can't let it actually get to you. You can't let yourself react to everything. React. You might just have to be that person who lets the wrathful deity consume you for a minute, and you find out that, oh, that's how I get to the next level. Turns out not touching the button, not, touch, not touching the directional pad, not hitting any buttons on the controller. Maybe that's what you need to do when something comes up. I get a kick out of it, too. I think you have to have a sense of humor about it, too. Every time I see something else, I just laugh because I think they're poisoning their own bread. You're poisoning your own bread. And I don't eat bread. So I just see it and I'm like, yeah, that kind of sucks that they're poisoning the bread. I don't know why bread, poison bread is my example. But yeah, you're poisoning your own bread. And I don't, I'm not eating that bread. And it sucks. If I did want to eat bread, it would suck because it's poison. But I'm not eating bread. So let them poison their own bread. Because it turns out they're the ones who are eating it. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free. So take.